My wife grew up here at uh, Fellowship Bible Church, graduated from Fellowship Christian Academy all the way K through 12, and uh, we were married here in 1995. Uh, Jay and Kristen Berube were the first wedding in this building, and we were two weeks later. Um, and so my wife, Julie, my daughter, Trisha, she's 15 years old, and uh, they had to stand up if you would. <clears throat> so uh, Julie, taught the th Julie taught the third grade here from 1995 until 1998. Uh, I taught fifth grade in 95 and then junior high and high school, various classes in the 96-97 in the, uh, school year. And uh, then we went out and uh, started the New England Bible Church in Swansea and uh, served there for nine years. And uh, now the Lord has led us to Calvary Bible Church. The church has actually merged uh, the church we had started with Calvary Bible Church, where Chris Dyer served for how many years, Chris? Five. Five years. From what, from what period of time? Okay, as an assistant pastor. And uh, so the Lord, uh, the Lord, it's interesting how the Lord crosses paths with various people, but Fellowship Bible Church has been a blessing to us and many of you, uh, especially in the years where we went out and were starting the church, even supported us financially, individually, and that was always an incredible blessing to us and, the, the, and to see the Lord's provision and using your, uh, your giving and your, and actually I should say the church supported us as well uh, monthly, and uh, your giving and your praying for us. Some of you came down and visited with us at various times which was always an encouragement, so we appreciate the church and appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here today. It's been a while since I've been here. Uh, I was ordained here in 2000. I don't know how many of you were here, and uh, many of you, I remember your face, uh, but it's been a long time, so uh, give me a moment if uh, you can see the wheels turning up there while I'm trying furiously to remember your name, so you might throw me a lifeline if you would. But uh, we appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is where we will be this morning. Isaiah chapter 41. And before we get to the message, we'll bow our heads and we'll pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the time we have together today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning that we can come together as your people. We thank you so much for your holy word that you have given to us. Lord, you've not left us to our own devices on how we are to live our lives and to worship and to know you, but you've given us this holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and for that we give you thanks. Lord, we confess this morning our utter inability, especially when it comes to spiritual things, to be able to understand the word of God, so we pray that the Spirit of God would come this morning and give us your divine aid and blessing, that the word of God would go forth by that power Give the words to say and give hearts to understand, Lord. And uh, may all that's said and done be that which would glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. 
Amen. The message this morning is not necessarily an anniversary-themed message. Uh, it's tough to find uh, such texts. Uh, you're celebrating your 50th anniversary. Our church is a, we're, we're coming up on, on 117 years. Uh, Chris was not the founding pastor. Um, but uh, it's uh, tough to, 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 to pinpoint to specific anniversary texts. But as I thought and pondered and considered what the Lord would have for us this morning, this is uh, where I came. We live in a, in a very uncertain world. Uh, and uncertainty is the result of the introduction of sin into our world. I mean, think about it. Before sin, before the fall, there was no uncertainty. Before sin, before a man fell in sin, there was perfect harmony between man and creation. There was perfect harmony between Adam and Eve. There was perfect harmony between Adam and Eve and God. All of man's needs were perfectly satisfied. There was no need, there was no uncertainty, there was no deprivation. There was no loss. But when Adam and Eve sinned, suddenly things changed and changed in a hurry. There was this onslaught of uncertainty, and with uncertainty comes fear. And right from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that the Bible says that they did was they hid themselves. And the idea of the word that they hid themselves actually has the idea of Adam hid himself and Eve hid herself. And so there was not only separation between man and God, but separation between husband and wife. And that's what happens when sin comes into the equation. This uncertainty and the resultant fear was a new emotion. Fear is always the byproduct of sin. Fear is a terrible taskmaster that holds us very tightly in its chains. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18 tells us that fear has torment. And many here sitting in this room this morning, you are today experiencing the torment of fear. Fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of insufficiency, fear of man, fear of not satisfying someone and their expectations of you, fear of the past, fear of the future. And mark it down, whatever God calls you and whatever God calls me to do, However he calls us to step out on faith, to serve him, fear is always going to be our enemy. It will keep us cowering on the sidelines when God says to step out on faith. Fear is going to keep us running when God says to stand firm exactly where you are. When God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees, uh, he told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to get going. And when you arrive at the place where I have called you to go, 
I'll let you know that you're there. Now, what if God came to you with a calling such as that and just told you today, I want you to pack up your stuff. I want you to get going. And when you get to the place that you're supposed to go, I'll let you know. Do you think you might be a little bit apprehensive about that ordeal? Lord, can you give me a clue? Lord, can you tell me, you know, what direction I'm going? Lord, can you tell me how far is it going to be? Are there going to be any good jobs there? Will I ever see my family again? None of these questions were ever answered for Abraham. God just said, Abraham, get up and go. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 says that Abraham by faith went out not knowing where he was going. You see, fear is always the enemy of faith. And if we allow, or when we allow fear to rule our lives, because we all have to admit that fear has taken us over from time to time. Some struggle with it more than others. But like I said, fear is the byproduct of sin, so we're going to struggle with it. When we allow fear to govern our lives, God cannot rule. Fear becomes our God. Fear becomes our dictatorial, tyrannical sovereign. And for that very reason, scores of times in the scriptures, God comes to us with these words, fear not. Fear not. He knows that we are a people who are plagued and pinned down by our fears. And he knows that if we will go forward with, for him, that it's going to be by shaking off that tyrant from our souls. So the word of the Lord to us as his people this morning is this, fear not. Now, in the text that we come to this morning, the message is actually, in its context, prophetically addressed to a people who were some 180 years in the future of the day the text was written. The nation of Judah were going to go into captivity for 70 years, and after 70 years, they were once again going to return to the land in which they were. So for all of that, uh, for all of the joy that it would be for those people to return to their land, uh, it would certainly be after they had been in a, a, a foreign land for 70 years, any time of change is a time of fear. So you could understand how that those people would be a little bit apprehensive with that change. And so that's the, uh, the context of the text we come to today. That mess, this message is directed to them. However, it is a message that God has preserved for us in his word to us. So it's not something that we just put in a tome of a message that God had for that people at that time. It's a message that we say it is for me today because it is part of the scripture that God has given to me. Isaiah chapter 41 I want to read verses 8 through 10. Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 10. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. 
Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. What a promise. What a promise for God's people that we can look to the scripture and he says, fear not because I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Why? Because I am your God. The word there for dismayed actually is a, 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 an interesting picture. It's like someone who has been stunned. Uh, a few years ago, I was doing some work on my house. And I was working in the, uh, trying to remodel a bathroom, and I had a small piece of wood that was leaning up against something in the room, and I bent down to pick up something off of the floor, and just as it happens, the piece of wood fell over at the same time that I was bending down. And so the end of the wood met my forehead about halfway down. And so, you, you know, you know what it's like to get hit in the head. You, you kind of get stunned for a minute. You're a, little bit, uh, you're a little bit out of your element because you have no idea what just hits you. And that's the word for dismayed here. It's being stunned. And fear does that to us, doesn't it? It stops us in our tracks. It stuns us. It freezes us. We should be moving forward. We should be progressing. But instead, we stand paralyzed, unable to move, un unable to even think straight. Sometimes it lasts for moments. Unfortunately, for many, some fear has left you paralyzed in some area of your walk with the Lord, maybe for years. God says, don't fear. Don't be dismayed. When faced with fear, what does the world say? What does our culture say? Our culture says when you're afraid about something, just look to yourself. You need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to look at the inherent value within yourself. And you are a strong person. And you are a good person. And you are going to be able to get through this, right? Is that what God tells us? Does God tell me when I fear that I need to look to myself and my own inherent strength? Let me tell you, when we look to ourselves, there is every reason to be afraid. God says... Don't be afraid, for I am with you. God prom uh, addresses our fears on the basis of his precious promises. And what we see in verse 10, I find this very interesting, four stabilizing promises that none of them begin with the pronoun you. They all begin with the pronoun I. We're not called to look inward. We're not called to look to another person. It's all about who God is. It is all about what he is doing in our lives. How will fear be defeated in you? How is fear going to be defeated in me? So that we can, instead of living by fear, live by faith. We do so standing on the precious promises of the word of God. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 41 and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1.
And I want to read verses 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. These are the promises of God to us. God has seen fit by his grace to obligate himself to the likes of you and me. That's incredible. That is too wonderful for a sinner like me to take in that the God of heaven has obligated himself by his grace. I don't deserve it. There's nothing that compels him to do that other than his grace. He has obligated himself to us. And this, these verses tell us that the promises of God are given unto us to live by. They sustain us. They are the spiritual food that nourishes us as we walk in this life uh, from this day until we get to heaven. It's just like the manna that the Lord fed the Israelites with from Egypt until they reached in the promised land. Uh, they're the food that we consume so that we can grow spiritually, so that we can resist temptation, so that we can day by day become more like Jesus Christ. These are the, the, the benefits of the promises of God. A couple of things, and I say all that by if the folks at our church, they know me that well, you don't. Uh, usually the introduction is the good majority of the message, so there's the introduction just a couple of things now that I'll mention. Number one, let's look at the recipients. Who did the Lord give this, uh, give this message to? In the Bible, the promises of God are given to various people. Uh, sometimes in the Bible, God gives his promises even to unbelievers, does he not? Isaiah 45, 22 says, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. So there the Lord gives a promise to an unbeliever that if a person looks to Christ, he or she will be saved. That's the promise of God. But the overwhelming majority of the promises of Scripture are given to believers. Believers struggling in this sin-laden world. That's the case in Isaiah chapter 41. Verses 5 through 7 are speaking to unbelievers, those who worship false gods. But then we come to verse 8 and he says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I've chosen. He changes gears altogether. You once were wicked Jacob, but I have now given you a new heart, and now you are a prince with God. I've dealt with you according to my grace. I'll not abandon you. Uh, God never leaves his children alone in this world. He never will. Though we've given God a thousand reasons to cast us off, he cannot cast us away from himself. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about what I deserve. It's about what Jesus Christ deserves. It's all of him. Number two, we see the context of the promise. Uh, the context that the Lord gives it is obviously fear. Fear entered this world as a byproduct of sin, and fear is a part of the old man. 
And whenever our decision-making is determined by fear, we know that we are giving fear a place that only belongs to God. Mark this down in your life, in my life. Sin or fear will never uh, content itself to be a companion. Fear will always keep on grabbing a tighter hold on our souls until it dominates. But the believer is called upon over and over again to live our lives not by fear, but by the precious promises of God's word. Over 60 times in the Bible, we are given those two words from the Lord directly to us, fear not. That's the command of God. So then we have to look to ourselves and call fear exactly what it is. My fear is sin. I'm prone to it. But God comes in and showers me with his precious promises by his word that I can live by. And he says to us, nothing can separate you from my love. He says to you as a believer, you are in my hands. Therefore, you don't need to fear. Look forward to chapter 43. Chapter 43. And verse 1. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by my name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So the Lord here tells us that in the most dominating and in the most intimidating situations of our lives, he gives us this word, fear not. I'm with you. So why is it then that we fear so much when we should be fearing so little? It is because we spend so much of our time looking to ourselves and looking to our own energies and our own abilities instead of the one who is making these promises to us. As, believe, as a believer, if you know Christ is your Savior, you were saved when you directed the eyes of your faith unto Jesus Christ. How is it then that we grow in the Lord? It is by continuing to get our eyes upon him and living more for him day by day. Again, I'll remind you, the Lord gives us these statements in verse 10. Four statements and none of them begin with you. They begin with him. Fear not for I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Number three, we see that Christ overcomes fear. The message of the Lord to us is this. He says, all you need is me. I am with you. Our God is a big God. And if, some, if you were going through a difficult time and someone came to you and said, listen, I want to help you. Your consolation that that person is coming to help you would be commensurate with their ability to help, right? 
if you were in a serious financial strain and somebody that had significant financial wherewithal came to you to help, you would be greatly encouraged. If your six-year-old that you know how much he has in his piggy bank said, I want to help with the electricity bill this month, you know, you would be flattered, but not necessarily greatly, uh, your fears would not be too uh, greatly assuaged. If you were going in for surgery and a first-year medical student, you were, say you're going in to have your appendix removed, and a first-year medical student, they've got, you, uh, they've got you on the bed there, and the IV is in your arm, and they, uh, the anesthesiologist is there to come and to put you out. And the first-year medical student comes to you and says, listen, I'm going to be doing your surgery today. You don't need to worry about it. I've watched it on YouTube a whole lot of times. <laughs> Nothing to worry about whatsoever. You are going to stop that whole situation right there, right? There is no anesthesiologist that's putting anything in me that is going to make me go to sleep. This is not happening. Now, if the chief surgeon of the hospital came to you and said, Hey, listen, I have done this surgery literally thousands of times. You, you have nothing to worry about. You know, things are going to go well. Then you can breathe a deep sigh of relief. You can uh, rest your fears. Things are going to be okay. You see, when God says, I will be with you and I will help you, we can have absolute confidence in our God. God doesn't say to you and he doesn't say to me, there is nothing to fear. Never does he say that. He says in the midst of all kinds of things to fear, fear not because I am with you. There are a million things which otherwise would trouble you, but you can rest because I am going to be with you. This passage is a counterpart of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 where the Bible says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. When we want to emphasize something, such as if you were on that hospital bed and the first-year medical student came to you and was going to do the surgery, you would say, you will never in any way, no way, no possibility are you going to perform this surgery, right? And when you want to emphasize something, you repeat those negatives over and over again. Well, in the Bible, they did the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 5, our translators really didn't even know how to best bring this about because when it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, there are five negatives in that verse. I will never, ever, ever, no, never will I leave you. I will never forsake you. That is the great emphasis, the, the, the power of the emphasis that our God wants to get through to us. Believers, we are to be living testimonies that Christianity is at its best when the waters run high. Hard times, fraught with temptations to fear, when afflictions and difficulties are multiplied, these are the testing grounds of our faith. As believers, we pray best and we trust best when we are in trouble. 
We pray best and we trust best when we have every reason, humanly speaking, to be filled with nothing but fear. Here's the question. Will we fear or will we trust God? It's a sad situation when believers come to trouble and come to afflictions and difficulties in life and respond no differently from those who don't know Christ. Faith is designed for hard times. Our faith should triumph in these hard times. And it's been in your life, it's been when the trials of life have been strong and you have felt at your weakest and you have known that there was absolutely, that there was nothing that you could do to get yourself through this situation. Has God not in those times come so abundantly close to you and brought you right through? Have you not seen that? Have you not experienced it? So then why do we continue to fear. It's at those times he allows those trials, he designs those trials that we would come forth as gold. That we would in those dark days find the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ infinitely valuable, infinitely precious. He's never disappointed us. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, here's a verse to take in. Here's a verse to memorize. Here is a verse to meditate upon when we are tempted to fear. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord today. No doubt there's some today that you know Christ, but fear is paralyzing you right now. You're afraid to go forward. You're afraid to take some step of faith that God is calling you to take. Here's a verse for you. But I can't assume that everybody in this room today knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. For the, for the unbeliever you have every reason to fear. You are not ready to die. You have no shelter beneath the blood of Jesus Christ. There, we talk about the rest that the believer has because of the great and precious promises of the Lord. These promises are not for you. There's no rest for you in the promises of God until you enter in through that one promise. Look to me and be saved. At the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the, uh, you know how it went. The Roman soldiers were outside of that tomb, and the stone rolled away, and the Lord Jesus came out of that tomb. When the women came a little bit later to anoint the body of Jesus, and they saw the angel there, do you remember what the angel said to them? He said, Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. That was not the word of the angels to those, Romans, to those Roman guards. They had every reason to fear when that stone began to roll away from the tomb because Jesus was alive. 
The one whom they had killed was resurrected. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have never come to the place of repentance and faith in him, fear much, God says. I am not with you. Be dismayed. I am not your God. I will not strengthen you. I will not help you. I will not uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. There's only one way of escape from fear. And that is through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you and for me. There's no other way of life, no other way of peace, no other way to live and no other way to die. Believer, find rest and find peace in the Lord. And if you don't know Christ as Savior today, don't wait. Don't put it off for another moment. Flee to him and find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time we've been able to spend together today. And I thank you for the precious promises of your holy word. We thank you that because of who you are, and your stance toward us that we can fear not. That we can rest in your absolute power and love and compassion toward us. Take these truths and bring them home to our hearts today, Father. And I pray that for some believer today, hesitating to step out on faith, paralyzed by fear right now, that today would be the day that that one would step out and step forward as you have called them. And Lord, most importantly, I pray for anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that today would be the day that they would turn unto him and find rest for their weary souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.